Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. It's officially time to bring it back to football, and we have the perfect guest for that. Peter King joins us now in the Bud Light guest line. Bud Light, easy to drink and easy to enjoy. Thank you so much for joining us here, Peter. It was a pleasure to see you in the press box this past weekend down at Levi Stadium. And what did you think of that game? Before we go on to what's next, what did you think of the way the 49ers were able to get past the Cowboys? Oh, you know, when I left the press box, it was great meeting you there, Damon. Um, when I left the press box that night to go down to the locker room, I just had the weirdest thought. I, I thought that this was a really interesting game. It was a very different football game than uh, most games are these days in the NFL. <clears throat> you know, it was a survival match on defense. <clears throat> but... Just the weirdest, a couple of weird thoughts. Number one, the Dallas Cowboys are not a smart football team, period. You know, I can reel off six mistakes they made at crucial times by plays that are not very smart, in my opinion. Um, <clears throat> but the other thing I thought, how strange is it to think that if I were starting a franchise right now, I'd rather have Mark Purdy be my quarterback than Dak Prescott. That sounds totally, absolutely insane, but that's the way I feel. And, you know, I just, I came away from there, <clears throat> you know, and look, I think this is amazing when you think about it. Prescott now has played eight games. He's played 7.9 games. I mean, he came in you know, six minutes or whatever into the game against Miami. So he's basically played eight games. In eight NFL games, Brock Purdy has not fumbled the ball. He hasn't only not lost a fumble, he has not fumbled the ball. And he's only thrown three picks. He is the perfect quarterback for a team that has a defense like the San Francisco 49ers. That's why Brock Purdy is going to be the opening day starter at quarterback regardless of what happens on Sunday or beyond. Um, given the fact that you said uh Sunday was a a huge defensive slog. Uh, what can you take from that game and apply it without doubt to Sunday's game? What is it that you saw Sunday that tells you, I will see that again in Philadelphia? Well, number one, maybe not offensive explosiveness, but at least offensive efficiency. And number two, um, I think that defense always plays, you know, at any time of year in any sort of weather. And, you know, the 49ers defense is going to play in this game. I think the one thing that <clears throat> would concern me if I were the Niners is that they're coming into these playoffs there wasn't a defensive front much more dangerous than the New York Giants. I know people roll their eyes at that, but, you know, Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, and Kayvon Thibodeau were playing great. They played great at, um, at uh, uh, Minnesota. And the Philadelphia line... You know, I think this is amazing. Dexter Lawrence, who I voted first team All-Pro this year, 
who had had eight pressures the previous week at Minnesota, had zero pressures, uh, mostly engineered because of how great Jason Kelsey played. <clears throat> Jason Kelsey is a little, obviously, he's a little fire plug of a center. You know, he's not a mammoth guy like a lot of, you know, these new wave interior linemen are in the NFL. Um, but he played a fantastic game. That I'm not saying that the 49ers aren't going to get any pressure or anything like that, but that line right now, the Philadelphia line, is the best line in football. And that's going to be a huge challenge uh, for D'Amico Ryans and for that, that defense as a whole, the defensive front, to be able to get pressure. Um, Giants got none. And or get very very little, and so that is going to be a challenge. I think the one other thing to watch for in this game um, is just the fact that I wrote about this the other day because I talked to Jalen Hurts after the game. His shoulder is still it still hurts. I'll be the least surprised person on the planet if two weeks after this season we see a little dispatch out of Philadelphia saying that Jalen Hurts is going to go have a clean-up procedure, a surgical procedure to clean out something in his shoulder. Um, you know, you're not still in pain five weeks after something like that happens unless there's something wrong. So, I mean, and again, look, I, I, don't, I don't know this, but I mean, my experience covering quarterbacks in the NFL is that a lot of them get little things cleaned up after a season, and I bet he's going to have to do that. But the only thing that means for this weekend is that I would be surprised if offensive coordinator Shane Steichen and Coach Nick Sirianni dial up a, a lot of bombs uh, for um, you know for Jalen Hurts. Peter King with us on ninety-five-seven. The game. I think two things need to happen. They're going to have to get pressure on Jalen Hurts when he's looking for that bomb play. And this can't be one of those, yeah, we saw Nick Bosa, but it was sort of a nuanced game. You know, he created pressures and he took up a few blockers, which made, I think Nick Bosa needs to be Nick Bosa this week for the 49ers to have a good chance to win. And I just think McCaffrey and Mitchell have to be everything you'd ever want out of a two-headed backfield because the one thing the Eagles do seem to give up is a little bit of a rushing attack week to week. And and that's where the Niners, you know, Nick Bosa playing like a defensive player of the year, nothing to interpret, but a physical presence that shows up in the stat sheet and to the naked eye. And then McCaffrey, Mitchell, and Debo coming out of that backfield. I, I, I think these are, are must-haves for the 49ers to win this game. You know what I think could work against the Eagles? Um, the little jet motion that they run a lot with Debo. Um, I think that Philadelphia has been victimized by that a little bit this year. Um, and it, they've got a very interesting defensive front. Okay, They had eight players on that defensive front, all the way down to 35-year-old Brandon Graham play at least 12 snaps in that game. And that is one heavy rotation. But the interesting part of that is that you say, well, how important can Brandon Graham be? Well, one, he had his first double-digit sack season of his career this year at age 35. Two, he sacked Daniel Jones in the fourth quarter of that game the other day. So obviously... You know, the roster put together by Howie Rosen and managed by defensive coordinator Jonathan Gannon understands how to get something out of all of these defensive linemen. That's going to be something that I think, you know, the Niners did not play the Eagles this year. And I think it's going to be interesting to watch how you adjust. It's not going to be a, you know, a lot of teams sub a lot on the line, but to have eight players to plug and play on a defensive front consistently during the course of, of the game where there's going to be a lot of change-ups in that lineup. I think it's going to be really an interesting thing to watch, and it'll be interesting to see how the Niners adjust to it. 
What's the one thing that the Eagles do that the 49ers will have the most trouble coping with? And what is the thing that the 49ers do that the Eagles will have the most trouble coping with? Um, the thing that the Niners will have the most trouble coping with, in my opinion, is uh, solving Jalen Hurts because... First of all, you don't think entering this game that he is going to be he's going to be at full strength because his shoulder hurts and and all that. And so you think, okay, we're getting this guy at a time that it's a good time to get him. Well, the Giants thought that too, and he put up 38 points on him and could have put up more. Um, I think that his multiple ways of moving the ball when he uh, when he feels when he feels like he has to run he's gonna run and he's gonna figure out a way to do this he's done it all year against teams that are very good at stopping the run around the edge so I think coping with everything that Jalen hurts does uh, is going to be the difficult thing for the Niners to stop as for what the Niners do, you know, you mentioned it a minute ago, Ray, and I think it's going to be really interesting to watch um, the the running game of the Niners right now uh, because it was interesting the other day, right? The you know the Cowboys were just an absolute brick wall, and then late in the game, you know, they finally figured out. You know, let's alternate Elijah Mitchell with, you know, McCaffrey. McCaffrey didn't have his best day. I don't know who is going to have a good day against that front. They all look like they're 6'8 and 390. I mean, they're huge guys on that Cowboy front. So, and so I think that later in the game, they did a smart thing. They changed it up. And, and you know, the physical player that Elijah Mitchell is... I think really did some good in that game. So I I think it's going to be interesting to see what the running game of the Niners can do um, against that defensive front. It's a tough front to do anything on, but that would really interest me to watch. Piggybacking on, on Ray's question a little bit here, Peter King on Damon and Ratto, Nick Sirianni. What is he best at as a head coach? What might be a blind spot for him early in his career? I thought it was really interesting the other day. I asked him about this after the game. Remember the, you know, he ran down the field late the first half, uh, and he was going to call a timeout. It looked like when the 49ers were choosing whether to go for one or two late in the half. And he turned to the two alternate officials who were on the field because it's legal for a head coach to leave the coach's box and to run down the field to do one of two things, to either call timeout or to throw the challenge flag. He knew that. He knew what the rules were. He wasn't going to stand down there for any length of time. He just went down there to get the attention of an official and to, and to make a call. And when the official told him, Coach, you got to get back in your coach's box. And Fox caught it. No, I don't. And he said, he said, yeah, I know the effing rules or whatever it is he said. And I asked him about that, and he said, I know the rules. I know what I'm allowed to do. Don't tell me I can't be out of the coach's box. Don't do that. And he was adamant about it. And... So what I think his players like about him, quite honestly, I think his players believe that he's going to fight for him, And I think his players really, really like that. Not that uh, maybe Doug Peterson wasn't going to fight for him, but he's a little pugnacious. And I think that is, is something that's good. Now, as far as the other side of it, I don't think we know him well enough for me to pick one thing out to say here's a weak spot that they can go at. I just don't. I don't. I think he delegates, you know, because both of his coordinators 
are deeply involved in managing the game. You know, and I think he's happy to delegate. He trusts Shane Steichen on the offensive side. He really trusts Jonathan Gannon on the defensive side. So I don't sense that that there's an Achilles heel that has surfaced yet, either in something like clock management or anything. I think he's. I think that chapter is still yet to be written on uh, Nick Sirianni. He's, you know, for a guy who's accomplished what he's accomplished. We really don't know anything about this guy. Since you and just, I think that's been you know, that's been kind of interesting to be a, a coach in Philadelphia and people really don't know who you are yet. Since you just brought up the phrase clock management, it's one of the things I was going to ask you, or maybe it wasn't going to happen, but you brought it up. I, it's the one job where I swear to God I could step into an NFL building and be as good as whoever is the best at clock management in here. Like To me, I, like I see clock management like the Matrix. Like I, I think I could really nail it and be better at it than a lot of NFL head coaches are. And you could say, Damon, that's ridiculous sports talk arrogance. Maybe it is. I don't know. I feel like it's the one thing that I could do better than NFL coaches. The 40 seconds blown by the Cowboys just deciding to punt. Like, what is going on there? All right. Are we going to be looking at clock management coaches in this league in the next year or two? Because there I keep- are some, there are some already, and there are guys upstairs who call down. You know, the Titans have one. Um, I feel pretty. I, I'm pretty sure that most teams have them. That they do two things: they decide clock, they give advice on clock management, when to use their timeouts, and they also give advice on. Uh, you know, on the challenge flag. So most teams have it. I Look, the Cowboys did two or three things in that game that I just said, if I'm Jerry Jones, and look, I don't know what happened in Dallas today, but Jerry Jones canceled his uh, normal uh, talk uh, radio show appearance in Dallas. Stephen Jones, his son, the team president, also canceled his appearance. It could be that they are anguished by this and didn't want to say something that they didn't they didn't want to say. <laughs> you know, it also could be that they're thinking, you know, Jerry Jones on the other side of eighty, and there's Sean Payton out there. He's always wanted to hire Sean Payton. Could he be giving serious consideration right now to upsetting the apple cart and saying, "Damn it"? I'm going to pay Sean, Miller, Sean Payton $18 million a year to come in uh, and get this team over the top and to try to save Dak Prescott. I thought it was an inordinately uh, disturbing, and I know that sounds bad, but I, Dak Prescott played a disturbing football game. And just imagine if Drake Greenlaw hang onto that ball with 41 seconds oh, the left pill. in the fourth quarter. <laughs> yeah. First of all, it would have been 26 to 12 as final. And I can tell you, I know, I mean, I've been covering this league for 39 years. I know what happens in Dallas. Okay? And uh, there, somebody's head would have been on the chopping block, you know, after a play like that. It's, it's phenomenally... I just can't believe how Dak Prescott played the other day based on what we all saw Monday night. It just, it's crazy. Can I tell you the one other thing that bothered me that I've not read one word about this drove me out of my mind. And that is that with 49 seconds to go, Cavante Turpin, the guy who made the Dallas Cowboys based on two touchdown returns against the Chargers in a preseason game, uh, the ball was punted to him. He was standing his own nine-yard line, and he caught it with the fair catch signal. And there was nobody on top of him. And I just am sitting there watching and saying to myself, "Dude, you were on this team for one reason—to hit a home run on a play like this." And you know what? In the NFL, punts don't get returned by themselves. You have to actually do it. And I thought that was just inexcusable. I, there was a lot of things that the Cowboys did. That's just, that's not it's not a smart football team. Period. 
I was going to ask you about the other side of the bracket, but I want to ask one more question about the Cowboys. And specifically about whether Jerry Jones would hire somebody like Sean Payton and give him the run of the building. Because I've always sort of perceived that as the big stumbling block to getting the big-time expensive coach in Dallas. Is that hey, I don't think Sean Payton wants to control everything. He had a general manager in New Orleans, Mickey Loomis, who he worked with forever, along with a fantastic personnel guy named Jeff Ireland. He, Sean Payton wants to coach the team, and if he can trust the personnel management side, he's fine with it. He doesn't have to shoo Jerry Jones into a corner. Now, on draft day, like, you know, Sean, uh, Mickey Loomis is not drafting somebody who Sean Payton doesn't want, period. So that might be a little bit of a change. Uh, that, you know, Payton, by the time they get to the draft, if Payton worked with Jerry Jones, there would not be the kind of problem that I think by your question you think could happen if he doesn't have complete control. Look at it this way, Ray. Bill Parcells worked for Jerry Jones for, what was it, three years? And when he left there, even off the record, he has told me over the years, I loved working with Jerry. Jerry Jones, for the most part, now he might be different with Dave Campbell, he might be different with Mike McCarthy, might be different with Jason Garrett. But if he's got a strong, powerful coach who he really believes in and really trusts, he's not taking a player in the draft or he's not spending a jillion dollars in free agency on a player that uh, the coach doesn't want. Okay, well then, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure that I necessarily agree, but I don't have enough information to argue with you. So I'll ask about the other side of the bracket now. Yeah. There seems to be this two-day love affair with the Bengals as the best team on the other side of the bracket. Is that more recency bias or is there a sense that for all their wins this year, Kansas City didn't actually play the way you would expect the Kansas City team to play because they had so many games that were a lot closer than the opponent should be allowed to be? Well, I kind of disagree with you about Kansas City because the way I look at Kansas City I view this season for them as a season of great triumph um, they right now are 15 and 3 and keep in mind that they lost maybe the most dangerous threatening wide receiver in all of football before the game before the season and they replaced him with nice players Marquez Valdez Scantling Justin Watson Juju Smith-Schuster, Sky Moore, okay, nice players. And you know what they did? They were better on offense. They were more efficient. Mahomes had a better year this season than he did by a lot than he did last year. And I, I so so I I give Kansas City a lot of credit. But but here's the issue, Ray. Cincinnati and Kansas City have met three times in the last 13 months. Twice they've met in Kansas City. The Bengals have won all three games. Now, you might say, well, they won all three games, but each game they've won by a field goal. You know, which is like saying, well, you know, Tiger Woods only won that golf tournament by one stroke. Is he really better than everybody else? I mean... It matters to win close games. And so, to me, if Cincinnati wins this game this week, and, you know, and obviously they've got a good chance to do it, that'll mean that Joe Burrow, in a span of 13 months, will have won four road playoff games, which combined is how many road playoff games Peyton Manning and Joe Montana won in their career. <laughs> now, obviously, this is a lot different. Montana didn't play a lot of road playoff games, obviously. But, you know, Joe Burrow is doing something now that is really, I think, impressive, borderline incredible. And uh, 
the Bengals are basically, they've got the biggest chip on their shoulder of any team left in the playoffs. So we'll see if the Chiefs can knock it off. You know, if Eagles-Niners offers us the quarterback matchup that no one could have seen coming, <laughs> the, 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 you know, the, the, the Bengals and, and Chiefs offer us the quarterback matchup that was promised to us years ago. And it really is something else. How come the rules of science and medicine do not apply to Dak Prescott's high ankle sprain. That's normally a month-long injury for a mere you mean, mortal. You mean, you mean Mahomes, Mahomes. Excuse me, Patrick Mahomes. Pardon me, yeah. yeah. How, how, uh, first of all, I thought he broke his ankle. They take him yeah. back, the x-ray. I obviously didn't see it. He gets back out there. I'm sure tore it all, all day, all night. But how can he just say, yeah, no doubt about it. The high ankle sprain that takes guys out for a month won't even have me sitting next week. I can't explain that, and I think some of it is modern, uh, you know, not medical science, but injectable science. I think that probably will have something to do with it. I don't know. But, you know, I think a lot of this, too, is the will of Patrick Mahomes, just like it was the will the other day of Jalen Hurts. There is something wrong with the shoulder, for sure. And uh, but he's decided that he doesn't care what it takes. He's going to play through it because you don't have many chances like this in your life. And I think Mahomes is the same way. Mahomes just feels I've got six months to get better and I'll be okay eventually. Um, but so I, you know, I, I'm not sure heroic is the correct word or just high pain tolerance or whatever it is, but. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is one of those guys, you know. And again, I'm not I'm not really casting aspersions on anybody. I'm just saying that what's so interesting about football is that you have some guys who, you know, like Lamar Jackson, doesn't play for six weeks after he gets what at the time was announced as a two to four week injury of a sprained knee ligament. And um, and Patrick Mahomes, uh, obviously, this is a probably a month injury, if if not more, and he just keeps playing. And again, I'm not. I, I am suggesting that there are a lot of people in and around football who have raised eyebrows about what happened with Lamar Jackson, and who knows if we'll ever know any more about that. But I just don't think that Patrick Mahomes is the kind of guy, unless the bone is sticking out, that, that he's not going to play in the game. You can say that's right, that's wrong, whatever, crazy, but that's just who he is. Uh, the big local news was that Charles Menahue picked up a misdemeanor domestic violence. Uh, timing on that is terrible. Obviously, the accusation, what it implies, are are you know awful. We don't want to see... Uh, anyone abused, but no one was there. No one really knows what happened, and no one is going to know what the Niners are going to do until they do it. So, you know, it's it for teams who like to minimize distractions. That feels like a significant distraction because Amenahue might not have been a big part of this team at the beginning of the year, but he has been a big part throughout the playoffs and at the end of the year. I mean, you know, it was just three weeks ago that, or two weeks ago against Seattle that he was the key to their defense a couple of plays in that game. Yeah. And so, you know, obviously if they have to miss him for this game, it's going to hurt him. But um, you have to feel the team, too, that has to play by the rules of society as well. So we'll see. Uh, the other local news that sort of popped up, and it's more local or, or national conjecture than it is news, but Ian Rappaport you know, basically said, hey, if the Packers get the right package, they like Jordan Love enough to maybe be open for business on Aaron Rodgers. You buy that, and if you do, where do you think he might be sold? I mean, Adam Schefter reported that over the weekend that there was a significant chance he could be traded. Um, you know, you kind of round up the usual suspects. I always like to, to look and see what owner is the most desperate uh, because what owner, what owner will push for this the most. And, you know, I think right now the number one team would be the New York Jets. 
I don't know if Rodgers, you know, Rodgers, as Mike Florio pointed out tonight, could simply say, I'm not going to play for the Jets. So you owe me X amount of dollars. You can either give it to me for not playing or I could keep playing. Um, so I don't know what's in Aaron Rodgers' head right now. My feeling is that he's probably going to end up playing one or two more years. If I were the Jets, I'd offer a decent package. He's only $48 million on the cap combined over the next two years if he gets traded. His acquiring team would only have, it would only cost him $48 million on the cap, which with some quarterbacks is less than they own for this coming year. So there's that benefit, but also how much you're going to have to pay to actually get him. Two ones, one and a two, I don't know. Do you want to do that for a quarterback who might only play two years? That's the big question, but I do think the Jets are desperate enough right now to do something like that. Always good to have you on, Peter. Are you going to uh, Philly or Arrowhead? Going to go to Arrowhead this week. I've seen a lot of the NFC. I'd like to see a little AFC now. Always great to see you and have you on. It was great to bump into you at the press box again last weekend. Safe travels. Enjoy the barbecue, and we'll talk to you next week. Sounds great, guys. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Peter King with us here on 95.7 The Game on the Bud Light Guest Line. All guests appear on the Bud Light Guest Line. Bud Light. Easy to drink. Easy to enjoy. You want me to get that in there, too? In case you thought it might be hard to drink or hard to enjoy, it's not. Yeah, it's probably not good ad copy. Bud Light. Ugh. No, yeah, we, yeah, they, <laughs> yeah, we they, don't want that. They, they wanted something. Yeah. I mean, did they think I was going to do that? Uh, I suspect they weren't sure about you. You're a bit of a loose cannon. Yeah, wild card. I'm uh, not sure that I completely buy Peter King's analysis of Jerry Jones as a malleable owner. Because I don't believe we've ever seen that. Not just with Dave Campo, but I don't know that Bill Parcells had nearly the kind of freedom of action that he would have wanted. Well, remember, and, he was the guy who famously said, if you want me to cook the meal, allow me to shop for the groceries. But that was never in play when he got to Dallas. No, I don't think it was either. I don't, I don't think Jerry Jones has ever relinquished true control of being the general manager. And I don't think that Sean Payton, for as much as he was willing to respect Mickey Loomis, is going to have the same level of respect for Jerry Jones's acumen as a football man. He will respect him greatly as the guy who pays him and as a businessman, but I don't know that he's going to go there without more than just a handshake assurance that he won't have the last say on what he wants to do with the football team. At the same time, though, not that Sean Payton is going to be looking to, you know, have a fire escape of excuses to jump out of should things go wrong. But isn't there almost some comfort knowing that, hi, I'm Sean Payton, just hired out of nowhere, new head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, and I'm going to do everything I can to fix this team. But I didn't design this team, so I can only fix with what I'm handed. It's almost like it's like plausible deniability of why things didn't go well. It, uh, to me, it's almost like a, a little safety net for criticism for Sean Payton. Because Sean Payton's going to get hired if he were to be hired. And then everybody in Dallas will be like, finally, he's finally here. We've got a state-of-the-art coach who's a master of offense who can really pick up everything. And now at this point, he can turn around and be like, hey, if it didn't work, it wasn't me. Yeah, but that's a coward's way out. And most coaches, NFL coaches, with access to that kind of power aren't worried about the criticism because they have all the power. And I think given the two choices, I wouldn't want a guy who'd be worried about avoiding blame. I'd want the guy who's just said, this is my shop, I'm going to run it my way. And if Sean Payton is indeed that guy, and I think he more likely is than not, Dallas is not a great place because Jerry Jones, no matter what he tells you, is going to meddle. And no matter what he says about having hands off the roster, he's going to be in the room all the time making very pointed suggestions about guys he likes and guys he doesn't. And it seems like it's a bad fit for a powerful coach, which is what you would want Sean Payton to be. 
it sounds to me like Denver is a better place for him, even though there isn't as much talent, because Rob Walton, the owner, has made it pretty clear he doesn't want to be the day-to-day football ops guy. And I think for any coach with that resume, that's important. Not because you're just power hungry, but because they want to be able to make decisions without convening a committee from upstairs every day. Someone from the 707 says, you know, Jerry Jones has already said that McCarthy is staying. Everything is business as usual. Until it isn't. Until things become unusual, which that could happen. And also, the Jerry Jones ringing endorsement has been the kiss of death in the past as well. Yeah, I listen, I, he could go any way with this, but I also believe that he doesn't like to be made to look ridiculous. And if he fired Mike McCarthy for a while, they'd go, wait a minute, you just said he was your guy for next year. And I think Jerry Jones's skin is thin to the point where he wouldn't want to have to answer that question unless he knew absolutely that he could nail down Sean Payton. And it's going to be more than $18 million. That's the other thing I disagreed with Peter about. Sean Payton is not coming in. He's coming in for 20 plus. North of 20. Yeah, I closer to 23, 24, 25, which is an absurd number, except that they've all got it. And Jerry Jones next to Rob Walton is a pauper. So money is literally no object there because it doesn't come off the cap. Sean Payton is going to go and go, Compared to compared to the Walton family, Popper, yes. But the ability to spend on a head coach, Jerry has every ability that the Denver Broncos could have. At some point, sure. But it's if it's a bidding war and they both want the guy, they might go to 30. I mean, it, just, it, it would be that absurd. It just... Jerry Jones would not be able to back down Rob Walton no. in an argument about money is my point. Right. So, to me... You know, I, I think that, you know, Sean Payton wants more control than he had in New Orleans because he did have enough control in New Orleans because Mickey Loomis didn't do anything that Sean Payton didn't want done. In Dallas, it's never been true for anybody because when the owner is the general manager, I mean, it's like what the Raiders were. Everything had to be cleared through Al and Al had opinions, just like Jerry Jones, who has always admired Al Davis. has opinions, and he wants them followed. So I think Dallas is a lousy place for Sean Payton, even though the team is significantly better than the Broncos. In the couple of minutes we got left in this segment, let's play Aaron Rodgers' Choose Your Own Adventure. Because Ian Rappaport today did say if the Packers, you know, were offered the right package, maybe they would, because they kind of like Jordan Love too, think it's the right time to maybe move on if the deal is right. Jets, as Peter said, they do have an owner that is getting anxious and is desperate to matter in New York as much as the Giants do at all times, especially with the success that they enjoyed this year. Um, It would be a huge move. I think the Jets could be in play. The Raiders are going to be looking for a quarterback, but I don't know how that cap fit would work with, with, with what Aaron Rodgers is on the books for, even though Peter said it would be less on the books somewhere else than it would be going back to the Packers. Titans, a very good team that would instantly get better with a guy like Aaron Rodgers as their quarterback. Thankfully, the 49ers are completely out of this conversation. Like they don't, they don't they just they, they, don't, they wouldn't even want him if you could offer him right now. I'd rather see what Brock Purdy has going forward than what Aaron Rodgers has got left. I'm totally on it. Sounds nuts. Well, um, I, I say there. I, I think there's an open question about Aaron Rodgers, which is what do you have left? I mean, you know, this year was not a great year for him. And I grant you that some of that was because it took a while for him to find wide receivers he could trust. But he's by no means young. And I think you're starting to see some of the paint flake off because that's normal at this age. Um, I don't know that the Raiders are a place for him to go anyway because I think their preference is, is Brady. Um, I think I think Derek Carr is kind of a wild card because I just don't see him going to Houston. Um, I, I think the Jets maybe just because it's a big name in a big town which Woody Johnson loves and he doesn't have a better idea about who to get 
you know, except that, you know, he knows he can't stand Zach Wilson. Joe Flacco's done. His contract's over. And I don't think anybody believes that Mike White is the answer to all their problems. So I think the Jets might probably be the, the best landing place for him if Aaron Rodgers wants to operate in New York. A little bit on the point I was making to Peter about clock management when we do return here. And Oscar nominations are out. We'll have Ray handicap the entire field since he's a huge fan of movies. So he's winning. Coming up next here on 95.7 The Game. Damon and Ratto, it's good to have you this afternoon. We're brought to you by Fremont Bank. Full service banking. No compromises. Wait, Grandy's in here, which means I shouldn't push a button or I can push a button. Lucas, you're there. I'm here. We're good. All right. I'm pushing the button. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast we get it attention spans just aren't what they used to be heads in social media and eyes on netflix but what do people do with their ears well for one they're listening to audio americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day oh and you want the proof well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Now back to Damon and Ratto on 95.7 The Game. So, Ray, I'm interviewing you to be the next head coach of my NFL team. We're in a lot of trouble just on that interview alone, but I'm doing it. I think the first thing I'm doing before we talk about your offensive or defensive philosophies is starting a running clock and telling you you got two timeouts. How would you play the last two minutes? I'd turn an egg timer over and see how long it took you to answer the question. What's the score? That's a very good follow-up question to the scenario that I just put in front of you. It is amazing to me. The clock management is such a blind spot every single week in football for playoff teams, for teams with good coaches, for teams that have had a good season. That, you know, that, that 40 seconds blown by the Dallas Cowboys deciding whether or not to punt, to a much lesser extent, the first half trickle off a time that the 49ers let bleed away because they were so dedicated to having the last play of the half. They didn't give themselves enough time to should they seek scoring position, should they find scoring position to maybe play with a little house money from there like it, it and and i'm not gonna hold it against kyle but you know he won the game but to me i was so surprised that so often still it, it, like i think i could be the vince lombardi of clock management just walking into any nfl team be like I, I couldn't talk about x's and o's with you for a millisecond kyle but how to manage a clock what the score is with two timeouts before the two minute warning after the two minute warning like i i 
I think I'm I'm the Mike Ditka of that. I would be very good at that. Probably not, just on the basis of the law of big numbers, because they had they do analytics about it, and it's like twelve different people helping you out with all the information you need. But I think two things are are in play here. One, if having the ball at the end of the first half and having the ball at the start of the second half is vitally important, then I can see why you would let time go off the clock just to have that. At the end of the game, this notion that you want to be able to score with no time left for the other guy has always struck me as absurd. Because you have a defense, and if you believe in your defense, you score when you can, and then just tell them, okay, the game is in your hands now. Well, I think a big part of that is, who's the other guy? Am I playing Mahomes? Am I playing Rodgers? Or do I have Dak Prescott out there today? Because if it's Dak, I'm less worried about it than if it's the other two. But if you're going to pee away time, and your offense isn't as good as their offense, because it's really not about what they do when they get the ball. It's what it's about what you do when you get the ball. And if you're playing against a team with a bad defense, maybe you can get cute with the clock. But if it's a pretty decent defense, if you're playing, let's say, Buffalo, and you're down four, I'm scoring as quickly, as, as soon as I can. I'm not screwing around. I'd rather make them beat me. And if you believe in your defense, that to me is at least... It's a it's a positive statement, not a negative one. Why NFL coaches continue to trip over clock management issues? It's it's like it's astonishing to me. It'd be the equivalent of auto racing teams constantly running out of fuel. <laughs> well, no, it's it's because they're trying to get cute with concepts that really are alien to the sport. Like, oh, we've got to we can't score too soon. Shut up! There's no such thing as too soon in a game like that. You know. At some point, you have to, the people you play pay to play defense need to make plays just like your offense does. So get the points and not worry about what the defense does until it's time to worry about the defense. You have people who can do that job too if you are in a big game. Ray, do you know what happened on January 24th, 1848? I was born. <laughs> that date ring a bell to you at all? Uh, a guy named James Marshall discovered gold at Sutter's Mill, which is up near where modern Sacramento is. Sutter Mill was a water-powered sawmill on the bank of the South Fork American River, right in the foothills off of Sierra Nevada. And after finding that little bit of gold, by the next year, which is officially known as the Gold Rush, 1849. More than 300,000 people from around the world descended upon California. This is an anniversary of that moment. January 24th, 1848, gold was found. A year later, not even months later, as you go into 1849, the Gold Rush is officially on. There were only 1.2 billion people on Earth at that time. So to have 300,000 show up when, you know, if it's 1.2 billion in total Earth's population, let's take a half billion, you know, you're India, you're, you're not, you're, you weren't coming. You know, just, you're, you're, you weren't going to show up for the gold rush. You just were out of the conversation. The amount of the world's population that moved to Northern California in that moment is kind of a big part of the reason why we're all here. And today, 1.2 billion people are going to be on the Bay Bridge when I'm trying to get home. Well, oh, you're not you're not taking the ferry tonight. I am, oh, but I'm okay. just trying to mock people who are in their cars because they made the wrong choice. Yeah, they also made the right choice because now they can listen to us, and this is the audience we're looking for. Uh, an audience is what an Academy Award-winning Best Picture nominee is seeking. I don't know how many audiences showed up to see the movie Women Talking, but that is a movie nominated for. I never even heard of it. Movie nominated for Academy Award for Best Picture today. Uh, Avatar, The Way of the Water, also nominated. This is one of the biggest movies that I've never met anyone has ever seen. This is a huge movie. Have you met anyone who's seen the new Avatar? I haven't, but it's nominated for a Best Picture. Banshees of Insuring is a movie you might like, Ray. It's about angry Irishmen on a small island who detest each other and physically 
a man will mutilate himself in order to avoid the other man. I think this is a movie for you. I think you would like this. So it's a sitcom. <laughs> you would love it. It would be to you. Top Gun Maverick gets nominated for Best Picture. Elvis, which is a Baz Lowerman fever dream, uh, is nominated for Best Picture. A movie named Tar is nominated. Triangle of Sadness, never even heard of that. The Fablemans is a Steven Spielberg movie. All Quiet on the Western Front, which I've recommended to you, Ray. That is a hell of a movie. Uh, that got nominated, but to me... Everything, everywhere, all at once is officially one of the most unique movies I've ever seen. I'll be pulling for that. Ray, with all the movies I've just mentioned, uh, have you seen any of them? No. But you'd like to see All Quiet on the Western Front. I'm interested in that. I'm interested in insurance. I think you'd like the Banshees, too, yeah. But so far, I, I, I make it a point not to see movies that have been nominated. Until I get a sense of whether I would enjoy them, and most of the time I wouldn't. Everything, everywhere, all at once is officially a movie that is, you've never seen anything like that. You will not be able to predict where it's going. It won't really even make sense until you're about three quarters of the way through it, and then you realize there's a multiverse thing happening here. It's funny, it's dramatic, it's emotional, and it's a kung fu movie all at once. You you had me for a while, and then you veered off when you went multiverse and kung fu. It works, though. It doesn't sound like it should work. It works. It's extraordinary. I hope it wins all the awards. I don't know how many awards this show is going to win. I know. Yeah, I do, too. Won't be many. No, it'll be zero. Well, that's officially... The paycheck is the re reward, because there's nothing, nothing else. Just pay me. Do you feel rewarded, though? Oh, God, no. All right, well, then, what the hell are we doing here? You can go it's now. Oh, great. There you go. Thanks so much to Nick Ferdell for joining us in studio, to Peter King. Outstanding stuff all the way around. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Lucas. Thanks to all of you for tuning in. We're back tomorrow at 3 o'clock. In the meantime, please do remember, sports don't build character. They reveal it. And like that, he's gone. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.